0: reading this afternoon, which begins in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12, we'll read that chapter. Uh, Both of the readings this afternoon are in connection with the Lord's Day that we'll be looking at concerning the, uh, the Lord's Supper And so Exodus 12 speaks of the institution of Passover upon which the Lord's Supper was based. Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each, uh, to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, on the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel." On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and in the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the the fourteenth day of the month at evening... You shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did, just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. So far from Exodus 12, we'll also turn briefly to Matthew chapter 12 in the New Testament. Excuse me. I think I made a mistake there. Um, it should be Matthew uh, chapter Matthew chapter twenty-six. Sorry, Matthew twenty-six verses seventeen through thirty. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So far, the reading of the Word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 114. It was a Passover song uh, for the Jews sung through the centuries, Psalm 114. It's always good for us to be challenged with some of those lesser-known tunes, if we have them in our books for praise. Every Lord's Day when we come to worship God in the afternoon service, we also take advantage of the uh, Heidelberg Catechism, the confession of this church, and a summary of the Christian faith, and we use that to work our way through the doctrines of the Christian faith. We find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's uh, Lord's Day 28 concerning the Lord's Supper, that's on page 542 of your books of praise. How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me, and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me, and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister, and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord, as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? First, to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and the death of Christ, and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to his sacred body, through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, Yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, and we forever live and are governed by one spirit, as the members of our body are by one soul. Where has Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood, as surely as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul where he says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So far, the reading of the Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, over the last weeks we've been working our way through Uh, studying the two sacraments that the Lord has given us, the sacrament of baptism and of the Holy Supper. Uh, And our goal here has been to better understand them, to know what they mean, and then to also thereby uh, appreciate them, to know why they matter. Uh, And this is an important exercise. It often happens, as I mentioned in the opening sermon on, on the sacraments, Uh, It often happens that the sacraments tend to be overlooked in the Christian life or downplayed as mere rituals. Uh, Things that Christians like to fight about, perhaps, but not necessarily things that matter all that much in the Christian life. Uh, And our goal in this study, then, is is to move beyond that, to to grow in in maturity and understanding beyond that. Uh, We have to do that. Uh, So in the last couple of weeks, when we focused on on infant baptism, uh, why we baptize infants, uh, we recognize we're doing that in opposition against other groups that would disagree with us. But our purpose in that is not simply to defend our practice. It's not to fight about sacraments. It's to understand them, what they mean, and why they matter. Uh, So also then, when we come to the Lord's Supper, our, our goal is to understand what does it mean as Christ intended it, and why does it matter for the Christian life today? Now, as with baptism, the first thing we want to do is think about the Old Testament roots of this uh, sacrament. Now, the Christian faith did not just uh, show up on the scene out of the blue 2,000 years ago, but rather Christ was building off of themes and pictures uh, that were given already in the Old Testament. And we want to understand what those themes meant uh, as Christ then implemented them in the Lord's Supper. Uh, so we have to then begin with the Old Testament. Now we saw with baptism uh, that the New Testament sacrament and, uh, of baptism had an Old Testament counterpart, circumcision. Both of them represented entrance and belonging to God's people. So these, these two things uh, come together. Uh, they are the sign of membership in, in the covenant. Well, the Lord's Supper also has very clear and unmistakable roots in the Old Testament. We read earlier from Matthew 26, which records how the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And we want to notice the timing there. It matters. It says, He instituted the Lord's Supper on the first day of unleavened bread. As we read that, we want to be thinking... Why did Jesus choose that day? What, what is the meaning of, of that feast? Obviously that was intentional, so what was Jesus teaching by that? Uh, so then we want to start with an explanation of that feast, this Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread is actually part of the, the Jewish Feast of Passover. The, these two are uh, sometimes distinguished, but they're really one feast, Passover and Unleavened Bread. Uh, and the Feast of Passover then consists of these two parts. There is the, the sacrificing of the lamb. Uh, they were to, to sacrifice that lamb, and we read about that in, in Exodus. Uh, and then they were immediately afterwards to celebrate that feast together. Uh, in Exodus, when we read it there, uh, these two things happened on the same night. They happened in the, in the same occasion. They sacrificed the lamb and ate the feast in one night. Uh, When the Israelites came later into the land of Canaan, uh, and then especially when the temple was built, then the Lord commanded, all sacrifices will take place at the temple. Uh, And so these these two parts of this one feast got separated. Uh, There was the sacrificing of the Passover lamb, which came to be called Passover. And then there was the the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, which took place after uh, this is important because uh, some people have tried to distinguish these to, to say that uh, w- what happened in the Passover, where, where only the men were required to, to take the lamb, uh, teaches us something about the New Testament, that only the men uh, or only the adults uh, ought to be part of the New Testament version. Uh, but we want to recognize these are part of one feast. They, they are to be held together as a covenant, a covenant meal. Uh, So so then the second part of the Passover feast is this feast of unleavened bread. Uh, The Israelites there were commanded to to bake bread uh, unleavened. Uh, and the yeast there, the, the purpose that it was unleavened, the yeast is symbolic of sin. Just as sin has a way of, of infecting things, it, it grows, it, it, it causes the whole lump uh, to, to be uh, fermented. Uh, so so the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was an act of removing sin, removing unholiness to leave something pure and, and holy Uh, And the whole Israelite community, every last man, together with their families, their wives and children, were to enjoy the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days uh, after the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Uh, Now, over the centuries, there, there were things that changed uh, especially as I mentioned that when the temple was built, God commanded that the, the sacrifice must take place there. Uh, and so God, God said only the, the men, because it's a long journey, only the men were required to, to do that. Uh, but the, the law that was given then is as soon as that was done, they were to return back to their homes uh, to continue celebrating the feast together. Uh, Some of the dates changed as well, and this is important for the the timing of of what happens in the New Testament. Uh, Just as as the Pharisees in general liked to expand the law, to to add things, add boundaries and fences around the law, so also then the dates of the Passover feast steadily expanded. Uh, So we see this in Matthew, the first day of unleavened bread, which in the Old Testament, began after the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Uh, in the New Testament, we find the first day of unleavened bread actually takes place a day before uh, the, the lamb is sacrificed, uh, at least according to the tradition that Jesus and the disciples were, were celebrating it. Uh, there were elements of the feast that changed too. Perhaps you notice this in Passover. There's no wine in, in the Passover meal, at least as it's, as it's laid out in, in Exodus. Uh, but the cups of wine over the centuries were were added. Uh, This first night then of the uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread came to be known as the Passover Cedar uh, or or, or the Passover Meal. Uh, And we actually have quite complete descriptions from the Jews of that day that make it very clear uh, that that's the the feast that Jesus was using uh, when he talks about the the cup of blessing for which we give thanks That's language taken from, from that ritual. Uh, and then they would also sing a hymn on each of those days. They would sing a hymn at the end of the feast from Psalm 113 to 14, 15, and all the way to 118. So at the end of each feast, they would, it says they sang a hymn. We read that in, in Matthew 26, too. They sang a hymn and went out to the, to the Mount of Olives. Uh, well, that hymn would likely then have been uh, Psalm 113. So then, when we think about the Lord's Supper, this is where we must begin. Uh, in its roots in the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus is not uh, creating or inventing something new, uh, but bringing something to its fulfillment and showing there its true meaning. And when we think about that, we can learn several important lessons about the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Uh, First of all, it is the reminder to us that Christ is our Passover Lamb. Uh, it, it, it's a notable thing, a notable absence in the Lord's Supper is there's no meat. There, there is no meat in, in the Lord's Supper because the Passover lamb has been sacrificed once for all. Uh, Paul says this himself in 1 Corinthians 5, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Uh, so the, the Passover meal, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is... Uh, it was never supposed to be celebrated without the, the Passover lamb having been sacrificed first. Uh, but the Lord's Supper then declares, no, uh, this, the lamb has been sacrificed once for all. Uh, and so the Lord's Supper is now instituted as a, as a perpetual feast without the, the need for further sacrifice. This is very important when we uh, consider later the debates that arose between the Reformed and and the Roman Catholics where they insist, no, this is still a sacrificial meal. Uh, well, Well, we say standing with the apostles, no, the sacrifice is over. This is a fellowship meal. It is not a sacrifice meal. Uh, it 's worth pointing out here too that uh, even even the Jews of today the Jews of today celebrate the Passover still, but it is not the same feast as as they celebrated then. It is a very different feast because there is no Passover lamb. Uh, they themselves see this as as a problem, but it 's one they cannot resolve there, there is no temple, so they cannot sacrifice the lamb. Uh, the temple was destroyed uh, destroyed as, as Christ had promised it would be in Matthew 24. He tells them this, this is going to be undone. Uh, he had fulfilled the meaning of the temple. Indeed, the Lord Jesus says, I am the temple, uh, and, and therefore the old temple uh, needed to go. Uh, Hebrews tells us this as well. Hebrews 8 verse 13. Uh, there it's referring to the entire temple system, the priest, the sacrifice, and the temple itself. And it says, What is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The Jews today still hope that one day the temple will be rebuilt and then they'll be able to restart the the sacrifices of the Lamb again. And what they fail to see there is the Messiah did come. He did fulfill what the Scriptures promised. And the sacrifice has ceased because it has been done once for all. Another uh, major theme that we, we learn from the Old Testament of uh, Feast of Passover uh, regards this, this Feast of Unleavened Bread and particularly this theme of holiness. Now again, as I said, yeast... Yeast was symbolic of sin. Uh, And so the Israelites were commanded to to cleanse their home of yeast from top to bottom. Uh, Even today, the Jews make quite a ceremony out of this, uh, giving little brooms to the children in there to sweep all the yeast uh, out of the home to clean it out entirely. Uh, The yeast was to be completely removed for this feast to be celebrated. Uh, And the message is clear there. Communion and fellowship with God, this meal of fellowship, cannot be celebrated uh, where there remains sin. Uh, God is holy and every last bit of unholiness must be removed. But of course, uh, as, as we well know, yeast always finds a way of, of returning. In fact, if the Israelites had, had you know, degrees in microbiology, uh, they would have realized they're, they're not actually cleansing their homes of yeast. Uh, in fact, you cannot do so. It, it's in everything. There's yeast floating in the air. There's yeast on the surface of, of your clothes and on your Bibles. Uh, it may be very small amounts, but given time, it, it always returns. Uh, and that's why it's such an important message, then, when the Lord Jesus takes this this unleavened bread, uh, and he says, This is my body, take it and eat it. He is saying, This is true holiness. This is the, the purity that the old, the old unleavened bread could only point to, but could not actually be. Uh, so Christ, then, he, he shows us, this is not just the Passover lamb, the sacrifice for sins, he's also the unleavened bread, the holiness that we take in, that we receive uh, in order to be holy before God. A third theme we want to also pick up from this Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, is that it is a communion meal. Uh, It is a covenant meal of communion. Uh, the Israelites had the privilege of sitting around, uh, as it were, around God's table when they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, they enjoyed fellowship and communion with Him uh, as His people on the, on the basis of the blood of, of the Lamb. Uh, and that's, we, we see that very much in the New Testament, in the institution of the Lord's Supper also. Uh, it is a meal of communion and fellowship between believers who are united in Christ. Uh, We think of what Jesus says to his disciples in in verse 29 of of Matthew 26, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Uh, That meal uh, together looks forward to something. It says, one day, we who celebrate around this table here on earth, we will celebrate it together forever in the kingdom of God in heaven. Uh, having said that, then we, we want to consider what the Lord Jesus does with this meal in the New Testament. Uh, and therefore, then, what it means for us today. Uh, when, when Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, He very consciously wove into it gospel themes. Themes of the gospel that we want to, to recognize into each of, of these elements. Uh, in the Lord's Supper, you see a pattern, first of all, a pattern of breaking, giving, and eating. There's breaking, giving, and eating. Uh, And each of those, at each level, uh, the the gospel is visibly portrayed. So at the first level, there's this breaking and and this pouring out, breaking of bread and, and pouring out of wine. And Christ teaches us these are pictures of his body and blood. Uh, his holy, his sinless his unleavened as it were body uh, is broken, and his precious blood is poured out for the forgiveness of of our sins there 's one picture uh, I sometimes get the when when the catechism students memorize this lord 's day, uh, I often get asked the question in and, and the first question and answer it 's quite a lengthy one uh, th- there 's two parts to it, and and the catechism students often ask me what 's the difference between what 's said in the first part and what 's said in the in the second so You see this in, uh, again, if you go back to Lord's Day 28, uh, the first question, so question and answer 75, uh, there's a first and a second in the answer. Uh, and what's the difference between those? Well, the difference is the first has to do with the picture of breaking and pouring out. The second has to do with this picture of, of eating and receiving. Uh, both of these are gospel pictures with, with different meanings. Uh, So first, there's a breaking and pouring out, and then uh, the same bread and wine is also given. It is given. Uh, Christ himself is, is of course, the first one to to give it, which he does to his disciples. Uh, And then ever since then, every minister who celebrates gives the bread and wine on behalf of Christ. There's a picture, a gospel picture there. Uh, What Christ wants us to see is his death, Uh, the pouring out of His blood, the breaking of His body, it was not done for humanity in general. It is done for His people. Uh, He died for His people, and He gives Himself to a particular people uh, to to be received by faith. Uh, And then finally we see this picture of the sacrifices then eaten uh, and and drunk. Uh, It is a strange metaphor, isn't it? that we say we eat Christ's body, we drink Christ's blood. That's why Christians were initially accused of being cannibals in the Roman Empire, because it is a strange metaphor, but it's one that Christ taught himself. He taught it not only at the supper, but he taught it also in his public teaching. In John six fifty three, the Lord Jesus told the crowds, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It's a very strange expression. In fact, that's the first thing the disciples uh, say to him afterwards. Like, why do you talk like that? That is really weird to to talk that way. Uh, But the Lord Jesus was not speaking of literally eating his flesh and and drinking his his blood. Uh, He's speaking here in spiritual terms, speaking of a spiritual reality, which is receiving his sacrifice. The sacrifice of his body must be received by us. It must be taken in. So here, here is yet another gospel picture. Uh, Jesus using this Passover uh, language where the Israelites didn't just kill the lamb, but they also consumed the lamb. They took it into themselves uh, so that its death becomes their life. That's what happens when you eat meat. Someone, uh, The animal's death becomes your life. Uh, and there's a picture there. Uh, so they were to receive the life that the lamb offers. This is why uh, Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 10, The cup of blessing for which we give thanks, uh, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? We participate in in His blood. Uh, He says it as well in in verse 18 of that chapter. uh, Consider the people of, of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar?" In the same way, as we then eat the bread and drink the wine, we recognize there's a picture there of Christ nourishing us, of Christ giving us life. And so it's in that sense then that we speak of eating Christ's body and drinking His blood. We're receiving Him into ourselves as our eternal life. His sacrifice doesn't just cover us, it also nourishes us, and it sustains us in communion with God. Uh, so also, uh, when you think of the terms of the unleavened bread, uh, just as that, that bread uh, was the symbol of cleanliness and holiness, uh, so, so when they, they took it in, they were receiving that holiness as a gift from God. Uh, the Lord Jesus teaches us His body, as our holiness, is to be received as a gift from God. Uh, So then we see these three pictures, these three gospel pictures in the Lord's Supper. There's the the breaking and pouring out, there is the giving, and then there is the receiving and and eating. Uh, In all of this, though, uh, there is one other picture. When you step back and you look at the feast as a whole, there is one other big picture that should be mentioned, which is that it is a feast of communion. Uh, This is not something that is to be done privately. It's not just something that takes place between you and the Lord. Uh, it's not as though we, just, we all happen to be in the same room, celebrating the sacrament uh, privately, each by ourselves. Uh, no, the Lord's Supper, in, in instituting it, the Lord Jesus teaches us uh, that, that when He calls us into fellowship with Him, He also calls us into fellowship with, with one another. This is something that Paul, in particular, really emphasizes in 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, he he, speaks, he paints this picture of, uh, of many Christians partaking together of one bread. Just as one bread is baked of many grains and it turns into one bread, so then the Christians who partake of that bread are together, he says, one body, because they all partake of that one bread. Uh, so when we are united to him, uh, we are also united to one another. Uh, this picture would have been even more obvious uh, if, if we saw the Lord's Supper celebrated uh, the way that it was in, in the ancient church. Uh, when, when Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, it, it wasn't just a ritual, it was an actual meal. Uh, the congregation together enjoyed a meal uh, of fellowship together. Yeah, yeah it was a, c- a ceremonial meal, uh, but it was nonetheless a meal. Uh, in fact, it continued to be celebrated that way for the next uh, several hundred years. Uh, it was a meal that brought the church together. Uh, they celebrated it every, every week. Uh, so then the bread and the wine were, were, would have been, in, in the ancient church, distributed at the opening of, of that meal. Uh, and then the church would have continued to enjoy that meal together. Now we see it when we, when we look at the scriptures, we see that sometimes that came with abuses. Uh, you see that particularly in, in Corinth, uh, where, where the rich, instead of sharing their food with the rest of the church, they would keep it to themselves and, and would even uh, get drunk uh, while letting the poor go hungry. Uh, and Paul does rebuke them, them for that. He says, if, if, if that's all this is, if, if we're just here to fill our stomachs, uh, then you may as well stay home to do that. Uh, but when Paul says that, we shouldn't think there that, that Paul was opposing the, the, the reality that it was a meal. Uh, the ch- Christian church continued to celebrate it in, in that way. And perhaps that is something that the church should uh, reconsider, uh, that, that it ought to be a meal. This is this is why in our church we, we uphold this practice of celebrating it around the Lord's table. Uh, it, it is certainly cumbersome to do it, and it's unfortunate that we... We, we have no choice but to split it into four uh, tables. Uh, but what we're trying to do is preserve the picture here that this is a meal together. Uh, it, it is good that, that you can come and sit beside your brother and sister or look across the table at your brother and sister and say, these are the people I'm going to celebrate uh, and, and with for eternity, that I will be in the kingdom of God eating and drinking uh, for eternity. So perhaps it is something the church should reconsider, that the whole congregation might gather around one table or several tables and celebrate it as a meal. Again, we think of what Paul is saying there, that we who are many are one body, so we all partake of one bread. And is that experience of being together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. In any case, as much as possible, what we want to avoid is the individualizing of the Lord's Supper. You see this very much in, in other traditions where the Lord's Supper is very much individualized. That it's portrayed up front, uh, and whoever wants it can come and get it, uh, and, it's, and it's up to you, and it's just as individuals. Uh, no, it should be received together as, as a body. Uh, this is not just you and Christ, it is all of us in Christ. Uh, with that being said, uh, one last thing we want to think about is, is the purpose of the Lord's Supper as a sacrament. And here again, we can, we can learn from the Old Testament picture of Passover. Uh, at the institution of Passover, there's one word that you read in Exodus 12 that comes back again and again, and it is the word memorial. It was a memorial meal, a commemoration and, and the purpose of a memorial, just like we have World War II memorials or World War I memorials, the purpose uh, of such memorials is not just to remember what happened in the past, but also to remember its significance for the present, what that means for us today. Uh, so in the case of Passover, it wasn't just to remind the Israelites that the Lord, Jesus, or that the Lord God once long ago delivered them from, from Egypt, uh, but to remind them of what that meant for them today. That you are a people set apart by God. You are a people who belong to God. So it is both a sign and in that way a seal uh, saying this is who you are in God's eyes. Uh, And that's what Christ intended the Lord's Supper to be as well. It is a memorial meal. Uh, The Lord Jesus uses that, that very language. Do this in remembrance of me. It's that same Passover language you find in Exodus 12. Uh, But there, too, it's more than just remembering the past. It's considering what that means for today. Uh, That we, like the Israelites, are people set apart from the world, redeemed by Christ, belonging to him. And that also then needs to shape the way that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We come because Christ calls us to come, and we come to be strengthened in the gospel. Uh, That's what we come to see. We don't come to to the Lord's table to declare that uh, we are a more righteous people than the world or that we have it all together. Uh, We don't come to declare even that we are spiritually strong or mature. We come because we belong to God and He calls us to come. And, And that's what we come to be reminded of. Uh, in, in this light, it is also then uh, important that we, we have caution around uh, the, uh, the culture of self-examination that can, that can characterize the way that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, it is true that we ought to examine ourselves to ensure that we're not participating uh, hypocritically, uh, that we're not living like the Corinthian church was in a, in a lifestyle that contradicts the gospel. Uh, so Christ calls us there to, to examine ourselves ourselves. Uh, matthew five verse twenty three says uh, so if you 're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift now uh, he, he didn 't make that point about the Passover or lord 's Supper as such, uh, but the principle there uh, remains if you 're coming forward to the table and then you remember you have something against your brother that you have not forgiven, uh, or they have something against you, uh, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come to the Lord's table. Uh, Likewise, too, if you're harboring an area of sin in your life uh, that you have not given up and refuse to give up, go and deal with that sin, repent of that sin, and then come with a clean conscience. This is why we issue a call to to self-examination. But at the same time, this is something we must be careful with. Uh, we need to be careful that we, we are not giving the impression that, that, we, uh, that, that only those may come who have perfect and or total assurance of faith, uh, that those who have their lives all put together are, are the only ones who belong. Because if so, of course, none of us would belong at this table. Uh, we all struggle in our faith. We all fail in many ways. We all have a long ways of to go and growing in holiness. Uh, So the Lord's Supper is not intended to declare something about us in ourselves, uh, but to declare something about who we are by the grace of Christ. It doesn't say anything about how strong or how mature we are. Uh, And the whole point is to direct us to Christ, not to ourselves. It's to say you, by God's grace, belong to Christ. He died for you. He gave himself for you. And here at this table, he wants to give you the assurance that you belong to him and he to you so we do want to continue to value this sacrament, to not discard it or or, or belittle it as mere ritual. We want to celebrate it as Christ intended, remembering He is our Passover lamb. His body was broken for us. His blood poured out for us so that we together, together, uh, might receive the gift of eternal life at the table of the Father. Amen.